Like a lot of people, over the last few years I've started to accumulate a lot of portable speakers. I've got some blue thing, a grey one, and one or two others, and while they look different, they all have one thing in common. I start using it, things are going okay, but then the connection starts to get a bit spotty, the battery runs down quickly, and I'm frustrated and I start looking around to buy a new one, a reliable one. Finally, I think I've found one that will end that frustration. Because thanks to Sonos, I've been using their wireless streaming smart speaker and it is awesome. Cool design, lightweight and portable. So when I move around my house from room to room or even when I go outside and wash the car, I take my Sonos with me. It's so easy to set up and charge and has a long battery life, which is so important. It means I can rock out all day without having to worry about recharging, which right now, considering how much time I'm spending at home, is great. Sonos works with all your streaming services and control is simple with the Sonos app. Apple AirPlay 2 or your voice using Amazon Alexa or Google Assistant while on Wi-Fi. You can also stream thousands of stations including live radio from around the world and original programming free from Sonos Radio through the app. So go to sonos.com, S-O-N-O-S.com to learn more and get your Sonos move today. What? <laughs> Get moving. <laughs> Bob Roman's bothering the boba. It's a steely. Good morning, sweet world, and welcome to the No Dunks Podcast on the Athletic Network. It's Wednesday, September 2nd. I'm J.E. Skeets, and joining us here, as always, we've got Tass Mellis. Hey, everybody. Hey, Tassie, we got the bearded one, Trey Kirby. hey hey The international man of mystery taken to the max, Lee Ellis. Friend. Mm. Last but not least, making the magic happen today, J.D. Hello. There he is, and here we are. Shout out to everyone joining us live right now on YouTube and or listening to the podcast a little bit later. A special hello to Naomi as well. I know she's watching. Keep your questions and your comments coming for beach stepping episodes. We're actually going to be hitting the beach later today, gentlemen. So make sure you guys keep your eyes and your ears out for that one. Email us, nodunksattheathletic.com, or tweet them in at nodunksinc, any of your cues and your comments. Well, we got a lot of good questions for today's Beach Steppin', so make sure you check that one out. But today, could be a little bit of a quicker show because we're really focusing on those two games from Tuesday, and we'll start in the Western Conference. Game 7, baby! Ooh, interesting Game 7. The Nuggets edge the Jazz 80-78 to to complete (laughs) the comeback from 3-1 down, Tass. Uh, Yeah, a bit different than the six games prior. This was weird, but uh, fun nonetheless. Yeah, a lot of chucks, a lot of clanks, but this was a phenomenal first-round series. It was so freaking good. It wasn't a defensive battle. It wasn't guys uh, able to stop the other team a lot of the time. That's why you saw incredible individual performances. 475 points between Donovan Mitchell 
and Jamal Murray in the series. The most combined points by opposing players in a series in playoff history. Wow. This is exactly what you want in a first-round playoff series. It, it was yep. so, so great. And, yeah, the scoring slowed down a little bit here. It, I couldn't stand the complaining, though. Whoa, what a terrible game. My goodness, you can't com- <laughs> remember two days before when a guy put up 50, two days before that when a guy put, put up 42, and 50 before that. I know we ask a lot of people to try and put LeBron James's career into perspective, but this is like two days ago, man. You don't get as good a series as you did right here. Seven games. Uh, it was it was a treat to watch. And let's just get to the last play because uh, Donovan Mitchell uh, is trying to tie this thing. And with eight seconds left, he gets the ball poked from him. The Nuggets are up two. They should just hold the ball. Uh, Run it! Let's, but let's go, go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah, and that I, was crazy. It was crazy, but I think everybody. I, I was. I totally forgot about time and score as well. Like, go for <laughs> it. Yeah, bury it. Put the freaking dagger in there, and Jamal Murray runs up and gives it to Tory Craig, who's got a layup, and he misses it, and just then botches the, it. Yeah, he just missed a freaking layup, and Ooh. after the game, he said, "My bad." And so the Jazz have <laughs> their opportunity to go the other way, and Rudy Gobert. Uh, had Donovan Mitchell if he wanted to bomb it to him because Donovan Mitchell was sitting cherry picking all by himself at the other end but right. he saw he went to Mike Conley instead and that ball and Mike Conley shot a, a three point attempt he got an incredible look and it rolled off the rim I think Mike Conley shots tend to do that I don't know if I just watch Mike Conley closer than everybody else try and get a, a set on that John Schumann or, or, or what that was but it doesn't get much closer in that incredible uh, seven-game series. Yeah, it was. Uh, I saw people tweeting about this. It had a March Madness ending to it, Trey. Like we had the neutral floor setting, the score very low, eighty to seventy-eight. That is like a college game. Uh, a lot of guys missing threes, like a college game. Nice defensive move there from Gary Harris. That little poke away on Donovan, and then the what the. F- fast break from Jamal Murray what are you guys doing just hold the ball and then the near buzzer beating game three winning three from Conley I mean it was in and out that that's a college basketball game right there that's that's eerily reminiscent of one of those yeah specifically reminiscent of Gordon Hayward missing a half quarter against Duke in the national championship game just as close as Conley shot to going down but uh I don't know it's just such a crazy thing that uh you know the ball gets kind of like outlet to half court you turn and look there's not that many people in front of Do- of uh, Jamal Murray, so he's like, uh, well, I guess we gotta go. Um, and I don't know, maybe you don't have the crowd there cheering you on, realizing there's two seconds left. Hold it, hold it, hold it. You just see an opportunity to put this into a two possession game and take it, but uh, woo, that could have backfired majorly. But <laughs> I guess you know, shout out to Gary Harris twice. First yeah. of all, for the poke away on Donovan Mitchell, incredible, but also for the ball denial a few possessions earlier. The Jazz had to use their final timeout, yep. so they get that rebound with, what, four or five seconds left? They can't call a timeout. It's got to be a half-court shot. That's uh, the little plays. They just add up, uh, especially in a game that was 80-78 to 78 in 2020. That was wild. <laughs> what did you think, Lee? Did you think Conley's three was dropping there? Be honest. Well, there's that photo going around where the ball is basically in the hoop there. I mean, how it came out yeah. is just incredible, and and. Yeah, I mean, you feel bad for whoever lost this game because both of them deserve to win, and, and they and they uh, one of them had to come up empty. But we were lucky to even get to that situation because with, I think the Nuggets were up 19 points, and it was like, wow, this is a bit of a yeah. snoozer for a game seven here. But instead, then all of a sudden, Denver just forgot how to score on offense. They figured the ball didn't move, and Utah just sort of kept clawing their way back into it before they took the lead. And you thought, oh man, the Jazz are actually going to pull this off, and then Denver comes back and. An actual Game 7 game winner 
is going to be remembered for the, I think it was Kurt Goldsbury tweeted this out. It was a 720 from Nikola Jokic yes. in the paint. <laughs> just one of his classic, like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'll just keep spinning and then throw it high into the air and it just drops in. And that ended up being the last basket. So what a great memory. But, uh, I mean, Jokic had uh, 30 points in the end, which out of an 80-point score is an incredible amount. But uh, it just felt like that the Nuggets were on the brink of just making this one an easy win. And all of a sudden, for the last probably 18 minutes of that game, they were like, uh-oh, I don't know what to do now. No one seemed to be able to hit a basket, and the Jazz just kept getting themselves into the position where it's like, now they can probably finish this off if they can get a basket or a stop, uh, and it didn't happen. So not the most memorable like game sort of as a contest itself, but certainly some memorable moments to take away from it. And, uh, and, and to think that the Nuggets came back from 3-1 down where they looked shot in this series yep, uh, is, is really quite an incredible achievement by them. Yeah. Look, game sevens almost always suck in the best way imaginable. That's the truth. I mean, uh, you know, you're tired to some extent. Uh, everybody's tight because it's uh, every shot counts so much more. It, it, they can be ugly. I mean, this was really ugly at times, but it's still fun. You said it, Lee, though. I think lost a little bit in the whole story of this series because of the Mitchell versus Murray matchup were two things. One, the Nuggets becoming the 12th team in NBA history to overcome a 3-1 deficit to win the series. It's very, very rare. Uh, and they come all the way back to do that. And the other thing is, the Joker, I'm glad you said it, you know, 30 points, 14 boards. And I thought, you know, he's he's played really well in his game sevens. He's already got three under his belt. He had a 21-15-10 versus the Spurs last year in that first round series game seven. And then a 29-13 and in the loss to the Blazers. So he shows up again here. And if you just go through sort of the play-by-play, Nuggets were down two. 5.30 to go. He drove baseline. Pump fake, pump fake, pump fake. Scores. <laughs> Tie game, 4.45 to go. So basically their next possession. Jazz send a double at him, you know, sort of on the baseline. He makes a tough pass. I didn't think the angle was there. Uh, inside, I think it was to, to Torrey Craig. He sort of bobbled it, but then scored. Tie game, 4.05. Pick and roll action with Murray up top. Nice pass from Murray. Jokic hits that tough little floater for a big guy like that. I mean, he's got the touch. And then tie game, 33 seconds left. You said it. He backs down Gobert, spins, spins some more, and then the hook shot. Uh, and swish, like pure. And in a game that was that ugly and it was that difficult to score, you know, it, it felt like, especially with 33 seconds left, it felt like from the four-minute mark onward, the next basket could be the game-winning basket mm. uh, because they're that hard to come by. But uh, he stepped up. And again, this series will definitely be remembered for the Mitchell-Murray shootout, and it should be. And the cool embrace at the end task was awesome, like, you know, Murray picking him up. And it was just it was just awesome to see. But the Joker, he stepped up here. I mean, this is a big game. And, I, and Gobert got it going in the second half. Credit to him, because he looked, he looked like garbage in the first half. But the, Jokic is going to go over, overlooked here a little bit with a 30 and 14 in a game seven. I mean, that's big. He was phenomenal. Uh, I think we couldn't expect... Uh, Jamal Murray to have another 40-point night. I know right. uh, Lee, Lee predicted that he was going to have, uh, you know, quad 40s back-to-back-to-back-to-back. Uh, uh, but he was going to have a bit of a slowdown, and Jokic was going to have to pick it up. And, uh, you know, we've talked about having a big guy in this day and age have to guard the perimeter every possession and be your number one option. It's just a lot of work. And so Jamal Murray uh, picked it up big time in the middle of this series. And uh, the Joker man... Uh, yeah, they, they look like 
they were going to blow out the Jazz. They look like the team uh, that had had that Game 7 experience two last year, and Donovan Mitchell had never been to one. And so th- there, was a, there was a little of that for sure. Uh, but that third-quarter fight was really great. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and, and you talk about, you know, the... Jokic's sort of unconventional looks that always go down. The guy has the touch. Well, on the other side, Rudy Gobert is 100 times more unconventional, uh, but the shots were going down in that third quarter. It was it was cool to see some of his, you know, off-balance floaters. He, the Euro was pulling the Euro. Uh, you yeah. don't see that very often. And so it was... Uh, it was a different game than the games before, but the big men were producing. Uh, you don't usually see Rudy Gobert do that either. And so, hey... I'm, when I get on a basketball floor, I'm as ugly as F. So I don't mind seeing some some ugly maneuvers out there as well from some of these guys. That was a game seven task. Could have uh, flourished in. No doubt that's your type of game seven. Got to get in the mud there and get some little flip shots going. Um, you think what, that's let, more of a dinker or a dumper from Jokic? The mm-hmm. little uh, the little hook shot. The little the 720 hook shot? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Probably, probably a dinker, I, I think, isn't it? It's sort of... <laughs> You're spinning. You're sort of flicking it up there. Yeah, yeah. there's yeah. not a lot of dump to it. No, yeah. no. But here's my thing too. Like yeah. I always think of a dinker or a dumper as hitting some rim, hitting Agreed. some backboard. Right. I mean, he straight right. up swished it. So yeah. is it even yeah. is it even a dinker and dumper test? Maybe a dipper. <laughs> yeah. I don't think of a dumper as a swisher either, though. Yeah. You know what I mean, <laughs> but but Jokic, I, I think you're a little closer to the rim, though. Uh, you know, dinker is a little bit more of a. a uh, an aimed shot well a dumper is more like I've got this trajectory like I can <laughs> okay. just kind of drop it in you know what I mean yeah dump it in yeah, yeah. <laughs> what were you going to say Lee well Jokic you know he hits that big game winning shot there but every time he scores a basket he runs back as if he's just playing like a pickup summer league game or something like totally. that totally you know, there's, there's never no any emotion like, from that no. guy I mean, he just you... does like this all the time he exactly, like sort of wipes yeah. his mouth yeah. all the time like Dirk used to do that too Tony Parker uh, all the time I don't know what it is but you but... saw there was one play there where um, I think it was Mitchell ran a pick and roll with Gobert and, and Gobert scored and I think he got fouled and Mitchell was like pumping his arms he's jumping around Jokic there's just nothing ever from anything like that from him any emotional show but I guess right. that maybe that's a good thing you know that he doesn't sort of get sort of caught up emotionally in the games he just goes out there and plays and uh, and you know he knew he had to deliver because he's had an up and down series and uh, and in the biggest moment you know you mentioned his game seven stats there like he just quietly goes out there and does his job and realizes what he had to do but uh, I just I just find it funny like in a game it must be so tense and so emotional like everyone must be just on on a knife's edge there but Jokic is kind of like uh, yeah, we're just playing in Orlando in September. It's nothing nothing really special. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, that's what Brian Colangelo used to think about Andrea Bargnani. Yes. That's why he drafted him first exactly. overall. He's like, he's got no emotion. He's got yeah. no ups or downs. Yeah. yeah. Okay. yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. And the opposite side is Donovan Mitchell talking to himself after like every possession, hyping himself yeah. up. Even he get he's getting fouled and he's yelling at himself to, to keep himself going and keep himself into it. I think he's got uh, you know business idea. Some sort of like DJ Khaled thing where, you know, he's like the inspiration, like, you can do it. Mm. I got you kind of thing. I don't know if it's Donovan Mitchell app, uh, but there's there's something there because uh, he loves talking to himself on the floor. And it was it was evident and it's it was working. It wasn't one of those like, hey, you can do it type thing and not working. But <laughs> it was it was working. I think people would buy this app uh, or, or buy this this idea that Don, Donovan Mitchell could be your life coach. He, could be. Like he was it. he was good. Here, I got a question for you, Trey, because I saw Quinn Snyder after the game say, we went from being an unsalvageable team about three months ago to this. Now, they lose, of course, in a game seven, but he says, I don't think anybody outside of us expected that. 
with the Bogdanovich injury and the weird incident of how the season shut down between Gobert and Mitchell and all that, we all know the story. Was this like was this a good season? You know, uh, or at least a good bubble run for the Jazz, or is that Quinn Snyder trying to uh, spin it a little bit? I'm just interested to hear your take. Uh, Quinn spin, and I don't think this is a successful season for the Jazz. You know, like you mentioned, the Gobert or the Bogdanovich injury was huge. He would yeah. have been. Uh, they'll probably win this series if they have another guy who can score 20 points a game. I mean, I think so. You're probably not seeing Donovan Mitchell put up 50 a couple of times. Maybe it's just 40, and then you got another 20 from uh, Bog Bog. But uh. Whatever it is, I don't know. The Jazz lost in the first round. You can't be happy with that season. I know it came down to literally the last second of a Game 7, but the Jazz are a team that previous to the season, you know, they brought in Conley. Uh, Derek Favors was out, and we expected this team to be better. We expected with the addition of Bogdanovich as well that this is a quote-unquote dark horse title contending team, and they were never really there. They were super up and down. I think the thing you have to be most encouraged by is that Mitchell – Seems a little less up and down as a player. Uh, He seemed to have taken a step during the layoff as a creator for his teammates. And just the poise that he has that he plays with seemed like he went up a level. He seems like he's going to be an even better player next season, which maybe gives you a little bit of optimism. But I don't think that uh, the Jazz are probably thrilled with the way their season went down. But there are some extenuating circumstances, no doubt about it. Yeah, they also sort of called their shot here with this series too, right? I mean, they were... They wanted the Nuggets. Uh, I don't think that was a secret. They wanted this matchup, and, you know, they're up 3-1. I mean, the truth is Jamal Murray won them the series, right? <laughs> like, he, like forget the Game 7. There's no Game 7 if Jamal Murray doesn't do what he does there for mm-hmm. those last couple before that. The, the Jazz win. They just do. But Jamal Murray sort of, like, single-handedly saved the season uh, as a series for the Nuggets. But what do you think, Lee, is, uh, you know, again, what Snyder is saying there, this weird season for the Jazz, and just moving forward with the Utah Jazz, can this team actually be a real, legit title contender with Gobert as your big and then with your Conley and your Bogdanoviches and, and of course, your superstar in Mitchell. I mean, I think so, because at times they look like that. But but then there are other times where they, they simply don't. And, and earlier in this series, I remember when they were up 3-1 and, and you saw Mitchell and Gobert just really exploiting Nikola Jokic. I thought this is a team that's you know understands how to get baskets. It understands how to take advantage of a matchup here. Mm-hmm. And then on the defensive end... They were, they were good enough apart from Jamal Murray, who was going off. And it's like, sometimes that happens and you have to write it out. So yeah. at their best, yes, um, I, I think they still can be. I mean, getting Bogdanovich back it will, will certainly help. But they do seem to be missing that one or two pieces as well. Exactly who they are, I'm not sure, because I think Ingles is actually a good fit for that team. But he's also 32, 33, and he, he faded in the series. He started off pretty well. They um, thought Conley was that piece. Well, exactly. And, and Conley, Conley, Conley was bad in this game. I mean, he I was know bad we're in talking about the shot that nearly dropped, but yeah. He was bad in this game, but he seemed to look better in the bubble and the playoff games. Uh, yeah, when did he come back? He came back about game four, I think, wasn't he? He hit mm-hmm. the seven threes. Like, mm-hmm. yes, he definitely looks like the piece that they were hoping to get. So At times. It's, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, they routed off, I think, 15 games in a row this season against weak competition, but they sort of, you know, that's what you have to do. You have to hammer Hold on, them. hold on. That was this season? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, wasn't it? <laughs> Might have yeah, wow. been this calendar year. Definitely yeah. <laughs> not sure, but it probably ago. was. Uh, but you know, and then you got your star in Mitchell. Mitchell's no question that he's yeah. a star. He can close games. He's he's the guy who can get you the forty-five and the fifty points. So they've got pieces there, and I think Quinn Snyder is a good coach too. But playoffs, they can't quite seem to figure those out yet, and can't close out. Now they've lost to Houston uh, last season, and then the season before they lost to Houston as well. Yeah. And it's like, you'd think they would start to be making a little bit of progress here. And they look to be, against Denver, being the number six seed, they look to be like getting rid of the Nuggets in five games. Mm-hmm. 
But now they're kind of back where they were at the same point last season and the season before almost, where it's like, okay, where, where, where is this team going? What's going on here? So, uh, I, I mean, I don't, they're, not, they're certainly not trading Mitchell, of course, we know that. I doubt they'll trade Rudy Gobert. Conley's got a player option, I think, for next season, so he's likely coming back. You know, Royce O'Neal, I think, is a good role player on that team. Um, Jordan Clarkson showed that he can be their spark off the bench. So, you know, you sort of, you, you, you look at a team, you think we've got depth, we've got defense, we've got offense, we've got balance, we've got good coaching. So what's missing? That's right. the that's the right. key there for the front office to find what's missing or or to just get this team to perform at high at a higher level. Yeah, I think the ultimate question with them, if you're their organization, is the Gobert question mark. It's the Gobert Mitchell. Like Mitchell not going anywhere. You're right, and I'm with you. He's on. He's 23 years old. I think he's turning 24 like tomorrow or something in a few days. But it's like, can we pay that amount of money to obviously an incredibly talented defensive player in Gobert, but maybe a regular season guy where it's like that works a little bit in the, in the regular season. He can rack up a lot of wins, but uh, we can't go. He can't. We can't go to him in a in a tight game. He's not going to really help that way. He needs other guys. I mean, he can do the dirty work and get rebounds and stuff like that. But and brings it on one end. But he's a liability just in the say the way this game has changed. That I don't know if you can put that amount of money into your center like a Gobert. But maybe I'm wrong because they are still good and they've lost. The, the worry part is you said those teams they've lost to. It's not title contending teams nah. either, right? It's not like, well, okay, they lost to the Warriors. Yeah, you know, they went on to win or whatever. They lost to teams that they should sort of beat or should at least be on their level or could have beaten. So, yeah, so if Tass, anything to add with the Jazz? Well, as far as not beating an elite team, this is going to go down like the 2009 Bull Celtics series. I'm sorry. Yeah, Bull Celtics. That's right. Yeah. Uh, where neither team really goes all that far and, and really wins uh, anything significant. Uh, you, the Nuggets do not have a good matchup uh, against the Clippers uh, next round. This is going to be one of those series you look at and say, wow, those are two incredible teams. Uh, They were just evenly matched. uh, And they're evenly matched because the Jazz just don't have enough wing power. Boyan Bogdanovich would help, uh, but Mike Conley and uh, Joe Ingles, they're long in the tooth. Mm -hmm. And and it looks it. And they gave up a lot for Mike Conley, but regardless, uh, they're going to be 33 next year. And I think Rudy Gobert, you know, I, I always sort of go back and forth. Can he work with Donovan Mitchell? He can work if you have incredible wings mm. uh, beside him uh, that, that can score. I mean, you don't have to go to your center at times. They've seen teams win championship series uh, without a guy that can score in the post or really, you know, be other anything offensively other than a lob threat. Uh, but, yeah, they got to get better on the perimeter. So they got to hope that they can find someone. Because mm-hmm. I don't think it's, you know, I don't really think they have a, a dribble guy, somebody who can put the ball on the floor on that roster. Well, we're going to get to our Nuggets Clippers uh, series preview and predictions on tomorrow's podcast. But we do have the Manscaped series, Trey. Nuggets and Clippers. <laughs> Let's take a quick break and then we'll get to the Raptors Celtics. Take it away, man. This is going to sound sick. But literally the first thing I thought about this morning was doing a Manscaped ad read. <laughs> Lying in bed, my eyes still closed, thinking about Manscaped. Hard going to sleep even last night, knowing that Clippers Nuggets was a wow. reality. Wow. Jabal Furry versus Landry Shave It. Entrez <laughs> No Harrell versus Shave Some Plumleys. The Manscaped Mega Bowl is here. Woo. But LA is well rested and very good. So Clippers Nuggets may be cut short. And if you're looking to clip your nugs short, let me tell you a little bit about the Lawnmower 3.0 Cordless Body Trimmer. With its ceramic blade and skin safe technology, the Lawnmower 3.0 
acts like a PJ bulldozer to make you less Harry Garris. And don't forget <laughs> your ball balls. When you order the Perfect Package 3.0, not only do you get the Lawnmower 3.0, you also get the Crop Preserver and Crop Reviver. Give the boys a little Pat Patterson and you're fresh all day. Plus, you get some performance boxer briefs and you know it, a travel bag to use when your team is sent home from the bubble, but Manscaped does more than just nuggets. They legitimately just released some clippers. The Shears 2.0 is a luxury four-piece nail kit and it's the perfect add-on to the perfect package. You get slashed, tipped tweezers, rounded point scissors, fingernail clippers, and a medium grit nail file. Your hands will be in tip-top shape, whether you're eating wings at Magic City or handling your Rodney Magruder. (laughs) Right now, you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC20. Take your grooming game to the next level. Eliminate dick slivers with Manscaped. Incredible work. Man, when did you do that? When did you write that? Last night or this morning? Because I had to wait. This morning, I woke up and it was just waiting in my head. It was waiting for me, knowing that Clippers Nuggets went down last night, that we were going to see it. Um, Just, it was meant to be. Manscaped won this series. They really really did. And I think the winner of the next series has to get the Lawnmower 3.0 or (laughs) something like that, right? They got to award that to them. Whoever moves on to take on maybe the Lakers or something like that. I mean, Um, they should all head to manscaped.com and subscribe with code (laughs) theathletic20. They can get them delivered every three months. They won't be there for three months, but the next time they stop by, they'll be waiting. That's a great point. In fact, if the games go to overtime, there's no basketball play. They just show off who's got done the best manscaping. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And we let the referee. Decide. I'd watch seven games of that. <laughs> okay, let's uh, get to the Eastern Conference game from Tuesday. Oh boy, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, Marcus Smart, wicked smart. Lift Boston past Toronto. Celtics take the 2 0 lead. It was a close one, bit of a heartbreaker, obviously, for Raptors fans. Lee. What's the big takeaway? Is it Marcus Smart? I mean, this guy's suddenly Ray Allen. Yeah, well, he became Ray Allen in that fourth quarter there and uh, just caught fire, hit those five threes, including a four-point play, which was incredible. But what the key was there was the Raptors were up 12, uh, and it looked like finally the Raptors had started getting a little bit of their offense moving in transition, and they'd started to be like, okay, this is the team that we, Mm -hmm. you know, that maybe the Raptors really can challenge, and they look comfortable, but... Honestly, that Celtic, like Mark Smart was great, but that Celtics defense is so good that the Raptors, uh, it felt to me like they have to battle so hard to get a basket. Now, in game one, they shot 10 for 40 from downtown. In game two, you think, oh, maybe they, it felt like they shot better. Well, they went 11 for 40. And I've got their shot chart here as well, if JD uh, can bring it up. Now, look at how far back some of these three-point attempts are here. Right. This from is just the, the misses, right? Exactly. That's just <laughs> they did the, hit a shot in this game. That, yeah. that, that is, and that, to me, is the key here. That this is Fred Van Vliet went 3 for 12. Kyle Lowry went 0 for 7. Yep. And the reason is because so many of these three-pointers they're taking are just from a mile back. Now, sure. they, can, they can hit them sometimes. Yeah. But the Celtics are basically pushing them back further and further, and that's the only sort of clean look the Raptors are getting. Yeah. And when you're, you know, so when you're shooting, you know, so many shots from that far back, and your team's offense is sort of in the mud anyway, it's very, very hard to sort of keep the scoreboard ticking over. So full credit here, I think, really goes to the Celtics defense. Uh, I tweeted yesterday; it felt like the Celtics had six or seven players on the floor defensively because they rotate. They close out. There's never, ever seemingly more than one or two uncontested shots from the Raptors. Like, that ball moves around because that's the, the Raptors' offense looks good, but the Celtics are ready, and everyone seems to know, like, okay, 
someone's just got to get a hand up to this guy, close out on this shooter and get there. And they just made that offense so hard for the Raptors. And then, of course, you know, the Raptors put themselves in a position, but Marcus Smart goes crazy and then the Celtics close it out and the Raptors offense, when, when they really needed baskets, I thought was, uh, was pretty ordinary. But again, so much of that credit goes to the Celtics defense. Yeah, the Raptors, I think, bailed them out a little bit. They stopped attacking when they built their lead, like going to the paint. That was working. Uh, I think when they were up 12 from there on out, the Raptors shot one of 13 from three to close this game. They had a stretch there, uh, ta- I don't know, it was like a 10-minute stretch task where they scored, I think it was eight or nine points. You know, they missed 23 of their final 28 shots. You're right, Lee. I mean, the Celtics defense, awesome. The, the Raptors must feel like they're playing in themselves, I think. You know, if like, I don't know what the scrimmages are like with the Raptors, like how, how uh, high the intensity is defensively, but the Celtics are like the Raptors defensively. Bodies everywhere, arms everywhere, smart, talking, moving around. But the difference to me is the Celtics have guys, unfortunately right now, that can hit shots and can create their own shots. And either Tatum, obviously, getting to the line a ton, and Kemba, who was garbage for most of the game, getting any shot he wants because he's got the handle to do it. I mean, a Lowry and a Van Vliet just don't score like that. And then we can get to Siakam as well. It's like, that to me right now is the difference. Raptors put up a fight in this task. I mean, this was the Raptors we know, we've seen. There's a little pride there. I mean, game one, they sort of got embarrassed. But still, it's just offensively is no one can hit a shot because they move the ball around. There are looks, can't knock them down. And then you don't have a guy, you don't have Kawhi, of course, to say, man, we need something. Get here. And the Celtics have a couple of those guys. That's the truth right now. And that's why I feel like they're up 2-0. And then the Marcus Smart threes as well helps. <laughs> yeah, this, uh, but but the Raptors had this game. They they really did. They did, and, yeah. And, and the, it was one of those games, coaches say, after a loss, they say, we've got to do things with more force. we got to pass with more force. we got to cut with more force. we got to screw with more force. And the Raptors did that for a long time in this game. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, they played that prevent offense, I think, in late in the third quarter and early in the fourth. Eric Kareem put it that way, and that's exactly what it was. They were just playing not to lose. Uh, and they were playing their top guys more minutes than the Celtics were. I, I think they weren't as fresh. Uh, they had four of their uh, their, their dudes uh, play a ton in the, in the third quarter and the, in the fourth quarter. Uh, you know, Marcus Sowell, the only guy who sat uh, a big chunk of that third quarter. They went heavy on those dudes, uh, and late in the third and early in the fourth, they got a little tired. And it's unfortunate, um, you know, I mentioned Marcus Sowell on purpose there because the only weakness the Celtics have really is inside. Uh, they're, they're longer than the Raptors on the outside. They can make as many shots on the outside, and they have more of a, a you know, off-the-dribble guy and Jason Tatum that's in superstar mode that mm-hmm. the Raptors don't have. And Marcus Sowell can't, do what he used to do. He's a little like Mike Conley we just, we just talked about. He's long in the tooth. No one is going to beat these Celtics on the inside on this team. Um, that being said, they almost did beat them on the inside. This was, they're down three, 40 seconds left. After uh, Kemba Walker, and we talk about guys who can get their own shot, Kemba cool. Walker just, he spent like 24 seconds getting his own shot. The Raptors played really great defense, up one. Kemba Walker just took every single second of the shot clock for himself. It was a nice move by Nick Nurse. He put OG Ananobi as the guy who was going to come guard the screener so he could double and get the ball out of Kemba's hands. They doubled, uh, but Kemba kept dribbling. OG Ananobi went away. Then Serge Mm -hmm. Ibaka came, and then he said, all right, now this is my move. And that's when he looked like UConn, Kemba Walker, and MSG, uh, step back, boom. So now they're down three. And on the other side, yeah, the Raptors didn't have that. And the mistake, I think, was Pascal Siakam. He had Jalen Brown on him. 
that's when you go into the post. That's when you're the slow guy at, at the run and you just turn your butt around and you back them all the way down into the post from the three-point line because you can, because they have to stay with the shooters and because Siakam is really good at that and he had done that. But they called for a switch and I think that was a mistake. Uh, and, Jay, and Marcus Smart went on him and then that just, that's not a Stop not posting up Marcus Smart. It ain't going to work. Yeah, he tried to drive by I don't care who it is. Yeah, yeah, it's Marcus Smart. You just don't pick that matchup. So yeah. I, think, I think Nick Nurse went from... Uh, you know, he they, they did all they could, and he went to Pascal Siakam at the end, at the very end. He wasn't trying to force-feed him like he did in game one. Siakam, I think, was, was better because of it. Everybody mm-hmm. was sort of uh, working. But then he went to Siakam at the end, smart, stripped him, and then Siak- they got the ball back, and Siakam um, ended up stepping out of bounds there mm-hmm. at the end. So I, I, don't, I don't really fault... Uh, Nick Nurse for that. Uh, I think the the pick was the mistake, though. Not going to Siakam wasn't the mistake. Going to Siakam wasn't the mistake. I think that pick was a a bit of a a move there that that didn't work out. But I think when you say you might see the Raptors go small. I think just because mm. they have the length, the Celtics do. They have the shot making ability, uh, and and the defense. Yeah, is really like Spider Man meme. I mean, they're both so good against yeah. each other. Uh, I think the only advantage is to maybe get another ball handler guard out there because they do have the depth at that position. Like, they do have more guards, whether it's Norman Powell or somebody coming off the bench, especially without Gordon Hayward out. But, yeah, it's uh, it's tough because they don't have a Tatum who was a superstar. Yeah, he was. I mean, look, Nick Nurse is going to be fine today, I think, too. Oh, yeah. He's going to be a little lighter <laughs> in the wallet because he was questioning some of the no calls on, you know, his guys, uh, them not getting a whistle, and then, like, just blatantly was like, what Tatum got 14 free throw attempts. You know, he's got had more than our entire team. Not technically true. I think the Raps had 19, but you know, his point is like he's getting all the superstar calls and we can't get a call. He's going to be fined and he's trying anything he can to like game the refs for game three, maybe. But uh Trey, what were your what were your takeaways from this one? Well, the Raptors aren't gonna beat the Celtics if their leading scorer is OG Ananobi. And that's what it basically comes Facts. down to to me. Uh he can't I mean 20 is nice from OG. That's oh. great. It's hurt, it's going to hurt his most improved player case for next year, but <laughs> you like to see him scoring, but if he's your leading scorer, your offense is looking bad. And Siakam has looked brutal in the half court. He can't score on Marcus Smart, I don't think if no. if it's the perimeter, if it's a post up, I don't think he can score against Marcus Smart. Maybe a bucket here and there, but not reliable. Uh Fred VanVleet hasn't caught fire yet. That's been a problem. The Celtics seem to have both those guys scouted pretty well and Lowry is doing what Lowry does, you know, he's getting his 17 points a game or something like that, but it's not enough so far in the playoffs. I think Lowry has to be a little bit better. I don't think that you can go to Siakam late in the game. Uh, I think it's a little bit like, uh, you know, Westbrook made all those turnovers for the Rockets, but somehow James Harden gets the blame for it. Maybe Lowry needs to come and demand the ball and do something to get a shot, you know, because he's gonna, he has maybe the third best perimeter defender from the Celtics guarding him right now because uh, Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart are kind of taking turns on Fred and Siakam. So maybe yeah. Lowry's got to do a little bit more, but Gasol's getting outplayed by most of the centers on the Celtics. We don't think the Celtics have a, a great big man rotation, but Daniel Tice outplayed Gasol in game one. Rob Williams outplayed him in game two. Abaka cooled down. I don't know. You just got to have more scoring from your superstars. In the playoffs, your best players have to play a lot of minutes and they have to be really, really good. The Celtics didn't have a great game from Kemba Walker until the very end. So Tatum was the Kawhi Leonard. He carried him, you know, right. 34 points on 17 shots. That's incredible. He's looked great so far in the bubble. Uh, the Raptors, they were down 2-0 against the Bucks next uh, last year. They had Kawhi, obviously. 
things change. The series can still turn around, but they got to figure out a way to get some easier baskets. That's yeah. true. All that's true. Sorry, Lee, go ahead. Uh, well, Jalen Brown, he's not afraid at all of Pascal Siakam. He is defending him just so well because Siakam, Siakam likes to twist and turn and try to get those little flips up. Brown is just waiting there for every single one of those. Like Siakam just can't move him with his body. He can't step past him. He's not quick enough. And then Brown, when he goes up, Brown just seems to rise with him and contest all of those shots. And so, you know, some of them bouncing off the off the rim and off the backboard, but they're never clean. They're never open and they're never easy looks for Siakam. And he's getting, he's starting to show, I think, signs of frustration or, or like settling a little bit because he's like, I don't want to go inside against this guy because I can't beat him. So that's uh, that's going to be the big question here for, for Nick Nurse is how we can try to free up Siakam maybe and get him inside to get some easy looks. But again, the Celtics have got so many good quality defenders that there's not really a weakness out there. You know, you see Rob Williams out there, Boston Rob. I mean, if he's not just... Uh, if, if he's not going to... respect. <laughs> My first ever survivor. Nice uh, reference, um, But uh, you saw him, like, he basically didn't play in that first round series against Philadelphia, but he's long, he's an athletic guy, and he's just, like, everything that Marcus Gasol isn't right now. You know, he's just out there contesting. I think he, at one point, hit, you know, 10 field goals in a row for the series. Yeah. Most of those are just, you know, tip-ins and putbacks. Yeah, but he's, he's DeAndre just, Jordan, basically. He's, he's energy. He's energy and effort out there. And then uh, and then on the defensive end, again, he's just another guy with long arms. He's athletic. So every time the Raptors seem to score a basket, it's it's it tends to be against some sort of tough defense when they get them to drop. So that 12-point lead they had, to me, felt like a much bigger lead, much stronger lead. And you're like, if you were to say to someone, well, Marcus Smart's going to hit five threes in the fourth quarter, you're like, oh, we'll live with that. I mean, that's not going to happen. But then it did. And that just sort of rejuvenated the Celtics. And once they got back onto sort of even footing, they, they, they had control of that game. Yeah. Look, Raptors fans need to realize that Siakam is not going to turn into Kawhi Leonard here, okay? So they're not going to win the series with Siakam, you know, suddenly going for 40 in the next couple of games. It's like, and giving him the ball and go to work and ISO and stop posting up anyway. It's not working. It's going to have to be these guys just hitting threes. The ball continues to move. Drive, kick, you know, and Lowry has to hit threes. Van Vliet has to hit threes. The corner threes have to drop. I mean, I'm with you, Tass. Marcus Gasol, every time he shoots, I'm like, he banked one in by accident yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like, he's just, he can't hit a shot. And I'm not sure. He does other things. I get it. I and mean, he's like, he's like Lowry in that way as a big guy. Like, he, he makes other plays and, and maybe doesn't show up in the box score a lot of the time. But at this point, you need guys that can actually hit a shot. And I think they got to move away from him. Norman Powell, too, has been invisible because this was my whole thing looking at this series. Like, the bench has got it. It's so close. It's so tight between the starters and the Celtics started to have outplayed the Raptors starters to, uh, through two games. But it's got to be Ibaka and it's got to be Norman Powell. And Ibaka's done his part for the most, but Powell has been invisible and it's going overlooked because Siakam is the storyline and how bad he's been. But 4-12 in game one for Norman. And I'm calling him Norman because he's not Norm right now. <laughs> he had five fouls and a turnover in that game and then four points in just 13 minutes, I mean, it even got to that point where they couldn't even really put him out there. One for five shooting in game two. Norman's got to be Norm here a little bit more because they need a guy to attack and keep going in there. And he's a he's a little checked out right now. Um, so that's, that's rough. I still think the Raptors' task can actually win this series because there is enough... They're, they're strong enough defensively. They've slowed the Celtics team down. They're a damn good team. But... If nobody hits shots, then it's <laughs> then you're just not going to win. It's, it's like it's simple as that. I, I hate to say that, but it really is. I just I guess I still hold out hope that Van Vliet or Lowry have these games where they hit you know four you know four or five threes and something like that, and it opens up a little bit more, and then they're rolling, and then they get stops and they're out in transition. But I, I still think 
I mean, it's obviously game three is the... It's the series. It's the season for Raptors. They don't win game three. They're not winning four straight. They could win game three, and, I, and I'm still convinced they could actually do this because I le- at least like the fight in them. Didn't love the uh, uh, you know the uh, inability to hit shots. But uh, what's your take? You think they can do this? Well, they can win game three, and then we're talking for sure. They, yeah. They're not going to f- fall over here. They're not going to fade away. They didn't do that in game two. Uh, they were really, really close. They were not far off. They just needed a guy in the fourth quarter uh, yeah, to have the confidence to have a good enough three quarters to be able to make some shots. And you kind of have to count on the guards. Uh, you kind of have to count on the guys to be who can create the space uh, for themselves to hit a pullback. Uh, like a Fred Van Vliet or a Kyle Lowry, it has and to be, and, yep. and they and I think you keep Marcus Sol in the starting lineup just because of it's happened before. Marcus Sol has been terrible; uh, hasn't been adding a lot, I should say. Like he is, you know, fine enough de- defensively, but everybody on the Marcus Sol hate bandwagon. Where is he? Where is he? Same with Fred Van Vliet last year, and things do turn around. But I, I think Mark Van, uh, Marcus Sol is in there. Because he creates so much space for Fred Van Vliet. Fred Van Vliet needs that monstrous body uh, to, to keep him uh, away from the, the Boston defenders, away from him. So uh, I think that's where Gasol has some value. But mm-hmm. I would, and, the, we, and the Raptors were pretty good in the first quarter and the third quarter when Marc Gasol was actually playing his minutes for the most part, too. Yeah, they're plus seven. Uh, and, uh, and he eats minutes. I think that's the important part. And Serge Ibaka can't play that many minutes. But I think you're going to have mm-hmm. a, a center spot that needs to be uh, sort of a, a, a slash with three guys. Marc Gasol... Uh, Serge Ibaka and whoever it is, Pascal or OG Ananobi. I think you just got to go small and spread it out and have and say good luck, Norman. Become Norm Powell out there. We just need <laughs> we need five ball handlers because we need to get one of our guards going a little bit more. This Celtics defense is just too long and all up in our face. And I think that has to be an adjustment of Nick Nurse. Don't take Marcus Soul out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the fact is. They have the Celtics have the better player and, and Jason Tatum and and I, I think you know you compare Tatum and Siakam it's natural uh, you know Tatum didn't have an incredible night from the floor but he had 14 uh, free throws and, and that's monstrous and uh, and so he take goes from 20 to 34 and he had some beautiful passing uh, when the Raptors were doubling those passes to Marcus Smart were essentially coming from Jason Tatum and Pascal Siakam is was fine across the board, but he ain't Jason Tatum. And so I think if the Raptors are going to get it done, it's going to have to be by committee. That's just the way it's going to be. And so you have to help your committee get better by uh, uh, getting some space out there. And that's got to come from more guard play. Yeah. Through the first two games, I mean, is it a reach to say that the Celtics have the four best players right now in the series? I mean, if you lined them all up from the first two games... I, is this another Bill Simmons podcast? No, it's not. This is a J.E. Skeets original. But I think it is three or four. I mean, it's it's obviously Tatum. And then it's Marcus Smart. Smart. For sure. And then I think you're getting into, okay, now where are you going? Are you going Jalen and Kemba? I know Kemba, again, had a really bad game two until he was hitting the clutch shots uh, and caught fire there late. But is I, I I don't know I don't I don't think I'm putting a Lowry I'm definitely not putting huh. a Van Vliet I'm not, I don't, yeah. I'm over them through the first two games so that's not just that's not going to work out for the Raptors <laughs> they're just not going to win the obviously what was going to be a very difficult series to begin with they're not going to do it if those guys are not the the second third and fourth best players in this series really yeah. so that's, that's where we're at and Serge just kind of overperformed already he was seven of twelve yesterday yeah he's played yeah. Uh, so and, and you know he was asked to do a lot, and he is he is playoff surge. Uh, he sometimes he comes out with these little streaks of games, and he was the one in the locker room last year 
when the Raptors were down 2-0 to the Milwaukee Bucks saying, hey, we were down 2-0 with the Thunder and we came back. And right, right, I, th- right. I think the Celtics are in the locker room saying, you know what they're saying? Serge Ibaka is in there saying they were down 2-0 because he said that last year. And he's probably saying it. I've done it twice before. And so they know what's coming. They know yeah. another big hit is coming and that they have to be ready for this game three. And as we've talked about, they're up 1-0 on the Bucks last year in round number two. Or was that round number one? No, it's, round two. two oh, yeah. was, was it round yeah. two? Oh, yeah, they got through the first round. Yeah. Uh, and, and then they you know, got mopped four straight. So... They're going to be ready for game three. Uh, this is a, as a, but yeah, the Raptors can win. Uh, they got to do it with force, and I think they, uh, I think they can. I, I think they're not going to, they're not going to fade away. This team is not going anywhere. Yeah, but I, I mean, I know you're hearing a lot of the. Uh, well, the Raps were down two out of the Bucks last year. There's two major differences. Uh, Trey Kawhi. already said the one Kawhi. <laughs> they don't come back if there's no Kawhi. Done. Rap. I'm sorry. And the other thing is, I think the Celtics are better than the Bucks. I think this year's Celtics are better than last year's Bucks because I believe in their coach a lot more. And, I mean, they've got a little hunger to them, too. So I I think those are the two major differences. Again, I'm on record that I still think the Raps can do this. I still think Raps in seven is a possibility, but... You do? Seriously? Yeah, me, of all people. Me! (laughs) That's crazy. Uh, But, I mean, I'm going to have to smash this uh, frame towel because it's bad. uh, I'm 0 for 2 right now. you got to pull a Mo Verney. We saw him in the crowd last night. He was wearing a white shirt for the first half, a red shirt for the second half. I know that towel is reversible. Maybe you should uh, change it up. Oh, flip it up. Yeah, Cost me another five hundred dollars. <laughs> Maybe I just gotta wear my sunglasses and watch the game through my sunglasses, like Mo Verdi. How can you even see what's going on through the virtual crowd there? I don't know. But uh, I hadn't even really considered it. But there's a chance that Mo Verney and Cheeve could be sitting next to each other in the virtual stands during this series. <laughs> Whoa, crazy! The Celtics, though, man, they've been great all season long. They're top five in yeah. offense and defense. That's a championship contending team. And like you guys are saying, there's no Kawhi Leonard for the Raptors, and Jason Tatum is looking a little Kawhi Leonard-like Kawhi for the Celtics. Light. That guy can get a shot anytime he needs to get a shot. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's the, uh, for Raptors fans, that's a sad truth. And then you throw Kemba in the mix there, too, who can obviously get his own shot when he needs to. Uh, at least a look at a good shot. Yeah, that's that's tough. Raps uh, backs against the wall, but uh, let's hear from the Raps fans out there. You still have faith in them being able to take down the Beantown boys. They're gaining strength, the Beantown boys. Oh, right yeah. Now. Oh, man. Yeah. The shamrocks the hats are flying are like crazy up. Yeah. in the chat. Yeah. Yeah. Mulverney just has to steal one of those top hats from uh, Mr. Chief. <laughs> take Mulverney has to take off his fedora and put on one of those oh, big green train. hats. Yeah, yeah. Steal them. <laughs> well, I'm going to start doing my work. I tweeted this in game three, Lee. Uh, I, I've been taking this too casual, these games. I think it's because maybe we're in September now. There's been so much basketball on. I'm, I'm not... I'm not locked into these Raptors game tasks like I used to be last year. I got to start standing. The jersey's mm. got to get on. I'm not, I'm, I'm brutal right now. I'm not doing my work. <laughs> so I am guaranteeing, guaranteeing a game three Raptors victory. Okay, because I'm going to do my, my part in game mm. three uh, on, thir- what is it, Thursday, 630, I think. Yeah, Tomorrow. that's good. Yeah. That's good to see. Why? Why weren't you doing it? You just forgot, or you're just getting you know sloppy? What? I, I mean, don't know. Maybe it's just like uh... yeah, you're getting fat. You get the uh, you exactly. get the championship. Right. Getting lazy. Yeah, and you're like, I've got a championship. We always come back. We're always coming back yep. from deficits. We're going to do it again. But good to see. I, I, yeah. I might stand there with you for a while as hey, well. Look, look, I'm putting in work on Thursday. I'm <laughs> I'm not going down without a fight. I'm actually going to give it a go. So we'll see. We'll see. All right, we got to take uh, another quick break here. Uh, but when we come back, we'll get to today's games. All right, time for Tweet of the Night. Mm. 
Read of the night. Wow. Twitter. Today's tweet of the night actually comes from this morning. Pulled a Lee Ellis. Wait until the uh, last second to find a classic. But this one comes <laughs> to us from Reese Waters, who tweets, Charles Oakley just won Dancing with the Stars. Because I wish you would try and kick him off. That's right. <laughs> Charles Oakley is going to be on the 29th season of Dancing with the Stars. That's a lot of dancing. What? But man, we have got a legitimately killer lineup here. Oh, oh. AJ yeah. McLean from the Backstreet Boys. He's got to be the favorite if you ask me. Netflix's cheer head coach, Monica Aldama. Caitlin Bristow from The Bachelorette. Nev Shulman from Catfish. Charles Oakley, as I mentioned. And ladies and gentlemen, we've got Nelly and Carol Baskin from Tiger King. No way. Carol Baskin from Tiger King is on Dancing with the Stars. And I told Nelly? you it's a killer lineup. What? What a lineup. What a lineup. Yeah, <laughs> Nelly. Does Nelly have moves? He makes some good dancing Nelly. Songs, but does Nelly have moves? I don't know. That's why to mm. me, AJ's the favorite. I can't wait to see Charles Oakley, but AJ made his living <laughs> singing and dancing. What do they get paid for that? What is Charles Oakley going to make for going on Dancing with the Stars, honestly? No idea, but it is going to be pretty funny because, 50, you know, the, the, the ladies they dance with tend to be kind of petite. And Charles is, what, 6'8", six, 6'9", six, and he's carrying probably a little bit of extra retirement weight as well. So okay. it's going to be, yeah, no, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how they can coordinate and how they can move because, uh, you know, like that that's the thing. On a basketball court, they all look kind of around the same sort of, you know, they, they look in proportion to each other. But when you see a basketballer with a normal person or a you know a small dancer, he's going to look like Boban out there. Right. Well, wasn't Derek <laughs> Fisher on this once? Once upon a time. Yeah, I think you're right. Remember we showed it on the Derek sh- Fisher. Yeah. Show. Yeah. Yeah. I, I believe in Derek Fisher's footwork more than I do Charles Oakley. Charles Oakley's <laughs> going to be a yes. Charles Oakley's going to be a statue out there. He's going to be doing some lifts. Uh, there's not going to be much dancing from him. Um, he'll be setting some screens. <laughs> doing the dirty work. <laughs> he'll, yeah, he'll probably he'll roast a chicken before, and he'll he'll cook the dinners. But he, um, Carol Baskin, this is a very polarizing Carol Baskin, season. Could be much better. I'll tell you no. that. <laughs> I don't know. We're putting Carol and Carol Baskin in this hole. I don't know. I, I think the good thing is people have she been sitting at like home a, with like a lot a of time. Is that what you're thinking? She's adopted. She's going to have great outfits. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, like, I mean, people, like, get on us for being Survivor fans. Survivor, season 40, that show's still on. Dancing with the Stars, season 29, is that what you said? Oh, yeah. Dancing with the Stars, at least Survivor's a real show. Come on. That's crazy to me. It's got to be just so cheap to make. They're like, why not? There's enough people to tune in. Just make it. Yeah, I'm sure you're right. Yeah. People like dancing. People like hearing that cover band play some delicious songs. AJ McLean. Yeah, I think you got some high hopes there, Trey. You know, he wasn't a singer. He wasn't a singer with the Backstreet Boys. He did have some moves, so he probably... He's probably underrated in the moves department. Probably Brian and Nick were probably holding him back in the dancing department, actually. Who who wins this show? Like, Like, do you have to be... Like you have to be a good dancer. Like who? Like do you know what I mean? Is there a popularity so. contest? No. Like who votes? Yeah. I think it's both. You get yeah. like I think you get scores from the judges for your skills, and then like the lowest people are like are on the cutting block, okay. and you got to call in, and you know we okay, got to call okay. in and save Carol Baskin. 
Yeah. All you sexy cats and kittens, give us a win. <laughs> yeah, like, like the state of Florida and Texas, they're all going to be voting for Carol Baskin to get to the finals. But I think the person, and they'll keep the popular players around, or the popular right. players, the popular <laughs> dancers around. Uh, but the person in the end who wins has to be able to dance, I think. I think they try and keep their integrity in, in the finals. Oh, yes, you know? yes. They'll keep it popular, and then, oh yeah, oh yeah, like, yeah, we need a dancer right. to win. But Nelly so- can't dance. Get out of here, Nelly. Yeah, I can't. I don't. See, yeah, I can't dance. see Nelly being dance. a great dancer. Come on. I don't Maybe. know. Maybe we'll he's gonna sweat. He'll wear a suit. Uh. <laughs> okay, Taz. Let's. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about today's games. What do we got? We, we got, got an ESPN. Yeah. Yes, baby. Doubleheader on ESPN. The nightcap is that game seven. OKC and Houston. OKC three tight wins and Houston three blowout wins in this series. Hmm. It, it's. It's wild. So, who does that favor? Let's get some quick predictions before we talk about the other game. Uh, we got got to make a pick. You'd assume it's going to be a close game. So, does that favor OKC or does it matter? Mm. Trey, give us a pick. Uh, a close game certainly favors OKC. And if it's ugly, that favors OKC as well. But I'm picking the Rockets, of course. I picked the Rockets in seven to begin with. I can't abandon them now. But <laughs> if it is a game that comes down to the fourth quarter, I'll be quaking in my boots. <laughs> With that Rockets pick. <laughs> yeah. Skeets, what do you think? I'm going Rockets as well. I mean, it's sort of like what Trey said. I had Rockets in seven. Why would I change that pick now? It's right there. It could happen. But I will say, if it's a close game, no doubt, that favors OKC. Uh, they've got the proven track record. And if the Rockets lose this, I don't know where they go from here. Like, I don't, I mean, D'Antoni would be gone anyway, probably. Daryl Morey might lose his job. I don't know. Um, You've got Westbrook's contract. I don't know what you're doing with that, so maybe you're stuck there. But James Harden, I don't think we'll ever hear the end of this. If he has a bad, bad performance tonight or, like, you know, shies away from the ball late in a close game like we talked about with Lee uh, at the end of Game 6, he will be dragged forever, honestly, if they don't pull this off. He... he needs this win, as weird as that sounds, yeah. tonight. He really needs a good game, and he could do it. He could go for 40. Why not? Um, but my God, that's a lot of pressure because I, I will never, I'll never, I'll never let him uh, hear the end of this. <laughs> if he can't be, I'm serious. Like, you got you to gotta get past this team. You have to. So I'll go Rockets in the end, though. Well, I'll stick with my pick of Thunder. I said in six, but obviously I may as well stay in seven. But uh, yeah, I, I just feel uh, the fact that they pulled that one out in game six, that the Thunder are going to feel pretty confident going. I mean, of course, both teams feel they can win this game. But, uh, you know, the Thunder were down six with only a couple of minutes to go. And they got that win. So now Chris Paul is like, you saw how emotional he was after that victory. He's like, he wants. The, he's the same sort of thing with James Harden. He doesn't want a first, another first round exit on his resume at this stage of his career. If he can get one past Russell and James Harden... Oh. Knowing that likely, whichever team wins is likely going out in the next round anyway, but just that sort of like win that little battle at least against your uh, former teammates and colleagues and stuff like that. So I'll take the Thunder in a close one. I think again, last night sort of showed us that game sevens are going to be tight and even a big lead is not safe because even if, if you're up, that team that's up is probably going to get a little tight themselves uh, mm-hmm. down the stretch. So I think it's a close one. And if Chris Paul gets a chance to close it out, uh, I think he's going to really... Uh, lick his lips in that moment and uh, and try to try to try to do some damage to his former team. If, if Harding goes 
7 for 23 in this game 7 and the Rockets lose, he might as well quit the NBA and put his resume in for Dancing with the Stars 30. Because <laughs> he's not coming back from this one. So come on, James. I'm, I'm rooting for James Harden to have a big game tonight. I'd like uh, him to obviously shut up some of the haters, myself included, I guess. Uh, I think I'd rather a Rockets-Lakers series, if I'm being honest, too, in the second round. As much as I've enjoyed cheering on the Thunder here or watching the Thunder all season long and their scrappiness, I just think we might be a little more interesting um, in the second round. So... What do you got, though, Tass? Uh, well, I think James Harden, a rip-through move on the Dancing with the Stars Ooh. could be interesting. Nice. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the old rip-through. Try, like, he'd get his partner to try and foul him. Um, yeah, there could, there could be some moves there. <laughs> but I, I, th- I think they're going to last another day. I think just the fact that OKC won game six, I th- you know, that it happens in playoffs. There's a ying and there's a yang, and the, the Rockets will uh, come out with a, a little bit more tenacity than the Thunder will after, uh, after game six's win. And Chris Paul, I think, already sort of has a win because people think of him as a closer now. Uh, well, you know, for the majority of his career, uh, as our man, our hater man turned lover man, Trey Kirby of Chris Paul used to say, like he has struggled at times closing out games, but now we think of him as a closer. So uh, either way, I think Chris Paul goes home a winner, uh, but I think the Rockets are winning in a blowout tonight. I think Russell Westbrook will have a, a bounce back game, uh, but looking forward to that one, nine o'clock Eastern on ESPN. The first one, I want to talk about a little story involved with that one as well. That one's at 6.30 Eastern. It's game two of Miami-Milwaukee. The Jimmy Butler saga was great to watch in game number one as he closed it out. But after that game, there was an all-star who reportedly told ESPN's Tim McMahon that Giannis is, quote, not a lockdown defender who shuts down other stars, end quote, meaning he shouldn't have been named the league's top defender. Now, is that just good timing by this all-star <laughs> when he sees Giannis help defense and he sees a game he sees him lose a game uh this is just uh just just a fa- finding a reason to poke a hole at Giannis for whatever whatever just because people want to talk or is there some truth to that L- let's go around the horn here again Trey what do you think <laughs> uh you know Giannis is catching a lot of criticism for the way things went down in game one especially afterwards when he said why would I guard Jimmy Butler? My coach didn't ask me to do yeah. that. And people are right. Like, their Bucks have been the best defensive team in the league for the entire season. They're not going to change their defensive principles based on game one of a second round series. Maybe they should in game two. But you're not going to have Giannis guarding Jimmy Butler for the entire game. That being said, two minutes. He can do it for two minutes, I would think. I don't necessarily know that uh, you have to be a lockdown defender, that you have to be able to go out and guard people one-on-one to be the best defender in the league. We've seen right. a lot of big guys win uh, Defensive Player of the Year by being great rim protectors. And that's certainly Giannis's strength. As a weak side defender, he can help at the rim. He gets a whole bunch of steals. He hits the glass. These are all major defensive things that he does as well. But there are also other options if Chris Middleton is getting roasted again, right? Like, let's see Wesley Matthews take a turn on Jimmy Butler. Let's see somebody else. I mean, George Hill got a turn, and he's maybe a little bit too small to be uh, sticking Butler. But Wesley Matthews, you know, they were college teammates. They know each other pretty well. I would imagine West gets a little bit of a chance here, but you do want to see Giannis step up. And I think that that's the key thing is that, yeah, he didn't take Jimmy Butler down the stretch, but he also didn't really put his stamp in, on game one. You want the guy who's going to be a two-time MVP to go out and say, I'm winning us this game. I'm having 40 tonight. And that just wasn't the case in game mm-hmm. one. Lee, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's like Kawhi Leonard, for example, as a greater defender as he is, he doesn't go out and guard the other team's best player for the entire game. 
it's one of those things. It's like we know he's a great defender, and if a guy's getting hot, then you can sort of say, okay, Kawhi, why don't you go and take this guy for a while? So that's where I see it as Giannis, is that you, if you're Mike Budenholz, you're not like you're guarding Jimmy Butler the entire game, but when it comes to crunch time, it's like if Butler's hot and he's feeling good and he's demanding the ball, that's when it's like, all right, maybe it's your turn to go up now and try to stop him because he's, he's basically cooked those other guys. But Giannis's defensive presence and, and what he does for that Bucks team, I mean, you can't question that at all. I mean... You know, so many times teams will try to just move the ball away from where Giannis is because they know that he can get up and contest any shot. So he, he, he uh, there's no question in my mind that Giannis was a fully deserving defensive player of the year. But there's very few defenders who just go out there and be like, right, this is your job for the entire game. Defend this guy, and that's it. You know, you you have to do, uh, you have to fit into the defensive um, pattern of your team, and then. On the offensive end, Giannis has obviously got such a big load as well. So he, he's not going to waste all his energy just def- defending one guy, knowing that he can impact the defense in so many other ways. Who's the all-star, Tass? Who said this? That's mm-hmm. all I care about. I'm trying to figure that out. Tim McMahon, I believe, is in the bubble, right? I think he's down there for ESPN. I know Bontemps is. I think McMahon is as well. So does that both, mean the all-star? Yeah, both Tims are down two there. Tims. you got, got to have two Tims in the bubble. <laughs> I like. I'm assuming this means then the all-star is there. I, I mean, I guess it could be Trey Young calling up Tim McMahon on the phone, but I don't think so. I'm thinking the all-star's there. So there's not a lot. I mean, you can figure it. Like, we can get into it if we really wanted to. We can figure out who said this. Ooh, like, maybe it was Jimmy Butler. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it was Chris Middleton. <laughs> oh, that'd be a oh, twist, oh, wouldn't it? Oh, he's like, I'm getting cooked, man. You're the, yeah. you're the defensive player of the year. Why don't you take him? I'm tired of getting my ass handed to me. Yeah, I'd like to just figure it out. But uh, look, he's a deserving defensive player of the year. <laughs> yeah. The the more- but it was disappointing. He you know, your lockdown defender should be on the best offensive player when it's when it's crunch time, in my for opinion. A, for a couple positions, yeah. especially the way they're cooking. LeBron did it all the time. Kawhi did it all the time. I mean, that's what Correct. happens. Correct, but yeah. not for 48 minutes. No, and, and Wesley no. Matthews was really good on him for the first three and a half quarters, even though Jimmy was getting his numbers. Uh, there was the nice strip in the post. Like Wesley Matthews is getting the primary job of a perimeter player. That's not Giannis's job. That's not Rudy Gobert's job. That's not Draymond Green's job. I mean, that's how it goes. The more mm-hmm. it, we talk about this, the more... Uh, I regret bringing it up at all. I mean, who cares? <laughs> who cares that this all-star said it? But but it, it, you, it, whoever said he didn't make his imprint on the offensive side, that's the big problem mm-hmm. here. Uh, that's where the all-star was probably getting his... Uh, his ammo from because I think the whole the whole internet is waiting for Giannis to take over and it's just tough for a sort of a a big guy who is a hybrid uh, a wing player to to do that but we're all waiting for him to do that and you know he hasn't even taken his lumps yet this postseason the way he did against the Raptors last year the way he he took it in the bubble uh, in the regular season games where he couldn't finish off Houston going into the lane I think we're going to get some of that where he goes into the lane and he sees too many bodies and history says he'll either turn it over or he'll pass out and we have to see if he's learned enough to uh, to show whether it's a little flick shot, hook shot, dinker, dumper, able to stop and pop some sort of push shot because there's going to be bodies there. So, yeah, I think that's where the All-Stars real motivation is. It's MVP and Defensive Player of the Year. What the heck? Uh, they haven't won yet. Um, but, yeah, it's up to Boonholzer to uh, to make this happen. And, yeah. Giannis probably would have helped uh, on the defensive end as well to get at least a couple possessions with those big hands in uh, in Jimmy Butler's face. You would think so. Hopefully, uh, Budenholzer for Bucks fans uh, tightens up the rotation a little bit here. I don't know. Is it is it a must win game two already? I guess not, but uh, sort of feels that way with the way how 
how well the Heat are playing. Hopefully it's a close game. That's what we're hoping for. Because you think that second one's going to be a blowout there, Taz. So I hope the first one's close. And I think it will be Bucks Heat uh, tonight. So let's call it there because we got to wrap this up and then reset for another podcast. Beach Stepping coming up. If you're joining us live on YouTube right now, uh, less than two hours. We'll be, uh, <laughs> we'll be live at 1 p.m. Eastern-ish on YouTube. So come join us if you want to watch Beach Stepping Live. Always a fun podcast. And if not... Keep downloading, listening, sharing the show. If you listen to the podcast on iTunes, leave your boys a five-star rating and review. We really, really appreciate it. Keep your questions and comments coming. No dunks at theathletic.com. Clipper bros. You heard it here first. Have a great time. Turn up. Love you guys. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. And you heard it here first. You heard it here first. You heard it here, you heard it here, first. here first. We're starting a Dancing with the Stars podcast. Oh, baby. Yes, we are. Dancing with the starters. That would have been great. <laughs> I might have to go back to that name. Embrace the day, people.